This is the EWN Podcast Network. Welcome to Change, Redefining Success, the podcast designed to inspire you and give you actionable information to enhance, up-level, reimagine, and reinvent your life and your livelihood. No matter where you started, where you are now, or where you've been, you too can lead an authentic, first-class life. Each week, new stories of turning points and transformation will help you define what success means to you so you can live your best life on your terms. Now here's your host, first-class life mentor and certified profiting from your passions coach, Kate Bessler. Welcome to Change, Redefining Success. I'm your host, Kate Fessler, and today for the final podcast of 2017 before the new year, my guest is Debbie Page. Debbie is an internationally recognized entrepreneur, business coach, and advocate for women's economic independence, and is recognized as the leading authority on cash flow for women in business. For over two decades, Debbie has worked with women and money and has acquired, scaled, and sold two businesses of her own. It's safe to say that whatever high or low you are experiencing in your business, she's been there and knows the way through. For five years, she was the Executive Managing Director of the eWomen Network Greater Seattle Chapter, an international women's networking organization, and was recognized as an international femtor for her work with women-owned business and her commitment to showing others how to build community to grow their business through effective networking. She's the only woman to receive this distinction two years in a row. When not coaching her clients from Sweden to Singapore and across North America, Debbie is a philanthropist philanthropist, a feminist, and a decent cribbage player. She loves a good glass of wine, great conversation, and studying the latest findings and applications in the fields of cognitive psychology and business strategy. Debbie is a proud pet parent to Mr. Harley Hounderton, her 10-year-old Labrador retriever and doggy love of her life. Welcome, Debbie. Uh, Kate, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to to bring 2017 in uh, to port and to, to kick everything off in the new year for everyone who listens. You have been on your entrepreneurial odyssey for 20 years. Did you ever have a, quote, job job? <laughs> a job job. Yeah, I say now that I'm completely unemployable, uh, but I did have a job job at one point. Uh, I did motorsports marketing for a division of NASCAR on the West Coast uh, oh, when I was uh, shortly out of college. Yeah, so I had a lot of uh, independence in the job, uh, but definitely it was a corporate structure. So much, much different than being an entrepreneur today. So why NASCAR? Were you a fan? I actually was. Are <laughs> you I still? still am a fan. <laughs> I am. Yes, I am. You know, it was... Um, you know, I was in my early 20s and an opportunity, you know, this is back in the day when, you know, to find a job, we actually opened up the Sunday newspaper and went to the help wanted section and scanned through to see what was available. And I was always, I, I think it's just how I grew up. I, you know, my parents always encouraged me to really swing for the fences. And there was a job posting in the paper looking for um, a marketing director for a uh, motorsports marketing company. And that's about all I knew. And it said requirements, you know, 10 plus years in the industry and uh, MBA preferred. Now, keep in mind, I was 23 Mm -hmm. and did not have an MBA, recent college graduate, and certainly didn't have 10 years of experience. But you know, it, when I went into the interview, I knew the industry and, uh, you know, knew the, knew the sport, I should say, and really convinced the owner of the company that, you know, I was, I was fearless when it came to asking for the deals. And so I uh, was able to create a really special little niche for myself in this regional division of NASCAR uh, here on the West Coast and represented a number of drivers that maybe weren't uh, names that, that are, would be highly recognized, but, you know, that was at the time where NASCAR was getting, you know, some traction, pardon the pun, uh, <laughs> and they were talking about all the viewers on television. And so my position was, because of the guys that we represented, uh, that they weren't the best, and oftentimes they would end up wrecking during the race. And because the television was on them, and you know when there's a there's a wreck, everyone's talking about the car that crashed and the driver, mm-hmm. and the, and they and they talk about the name of the car, 
through the sponsor. And so that's how I found a special place to uh, represent because my clients, both the, the drivers who were able to race when they had sponsorship money, and my client, the business, uh, got what they wanted out of it. They business got the exposure that they wanted and the eyeballs on their name. And the driver was able to get the money to keep doing what they what they love doing. I love what you just said because we often think, well, of course the sponsor wants the winner, right? But so looking at it a different way, well, who's going to get talked about more, right? So that's a, that's probably a very unique approach to yeah, the marketing it, that um, I, I bet they hadn't thought of before. That is correct. They hadn't thought about it. And I have to tell you, it was, you know, when I first came up with the idea, it was a hard sell, uh, you know, because there was this feeling that, you know, why do I not be want to be, quote, unquote, on the winning team? And my point was everyone wins, you know, as long as the driver and the team have the money to race. And you, especially a mid-sized business, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't swinging and, and working with sponsors of, you know, the, the Coca-Cola size, right? I was dealing with, you know, regional sponsors, you know, family-owned businesses who didn't have millions of dollars to invest in motorsports marketing, but they wanted to line up and they had tens of thousands of dollars. So it was a great value for them. They were able to budget in instead of having a little tiny decal on a winning car, they could put their money, you know, into one of the lesser rated drivers and sponsor the whole car. And it actually turned out to be a better deal uh, for them all the way around. And I love that. You know, I think that that was one of the first times where I really recognized that uh, you know, you don't have to do things the same way everyone else does it. I, there was an opportunity to look for a way to make this different so that everyone would win. And I think that's something that I've, you know, completely carried through as, as an entrepreneur and as a business owner is, you know, okay, I see how everyone else is doing it, but how could we do it a little bit differently? Yeah, no, that's brilliant. So you are clearly a disruptor. So that uh, <laughs> is probably why you did not stay in the, uh, quote, corporate environment and became an entrepreneur. What was your first business? Yeah, so my first business, uh, after the motorsports marketing company, I went to work inside a financial services company, and I was an independent contractor. And so, you know, as an independent contractor, I was a 1099, and I was able to, under the umbrella of a big company, start my own business. And so as an insurance agent and then ultimately a financial advisor, that was my first business, was being self-employed underneath an umbrella, understanding what it would take to become self-motivated, self-sufficient, you know, you're in charge of your own time, you decide when you're showing up, how late you're going to work, how many days you're going to work. And because it was a sales environment, there was a correlation between good effort and income. And I quickly caught on that if I could create systems and structure around that, uh, that I would ultimately, you know, get the financial success that I wanted by helping enough other people, you know, solve their financial uh, situations, whether it was through insurance or starting, you know, investment planning, retirement planning, college savings, things like that. And so I started doing that when I was in my mid-20s and within a couple of years had built a team of people inside this organization. So now I was, all, you know, running my own little business inside this company shell uh, and showing other people how to do the same thing, other advisors and other insurance agents. And then ultimately, uh, about five, six years into that, the opportunity presented itself to buy that book of business that, that myself and my team had built and leave the, the brokerage that we were under. They wanted to go in a different direction, and we were focused in on middle America, kind of you know what I would call mom-and-pop uh, investors, uh, good, good, hardworking people, but they didn't have millions of dollars to hit minimums that some investment or wealth management companies wanted. And I worked with the brokerage company to do a leverage buyout and essentially went across the street and continued servicing uh, those clients and built my team uh, until we had about 18 
uh, salespeople working for us and two full-time office administrators. And I was the trainer and the, the, the financial advisor in the firm. So, you know, helping again those families solve those, you know, interesting financial decisions or make those financial decisions that they needed to make about their future and their family's future. Uh, and somewhere around 2007, I made the decision that what we were building wasn't going to be sustainable. And I was working with a business coach and had been for most of that year and started to evaluate what was happening. Now, if you remember, too, that's about the time that the economy is starting to get a little bit shifty and shaky. Uh, people are getting nervous financially. Uh, we were well over seven figures in revenue in that business, uh, something that you know only 2% of women-owned business ever achieve. Uh, but I had built a business uh, on a very tenuous platform, meaning that about 90% of our revenue came from one source, and that source was directly attached to the housing market. Um, and while my magic eight ball and my crystal ball, you know, weren't telling me exactly what would happen, I knew that my three choices were try and throw a whole bunch of money into this to see if we could pivot, as we would say now, and gain some traction. Two, dump the whole thing and walk away. Or three, uh, sell off what I could to someone else and retain a, pers- a, a segment of that business. And ultimately, that's what I did. I found a company in California that was in a very similar market, and they were already being impacted. But the the move into Washington actually gave them the revenue that they needed to continue to sustain uh, through 2008 and beyond. Uh, so we signed that deal in May of 2008, and of course, as we know, the economy falls apart in the fall. So I went from a, you know, 18 people on staff to and 1,600-square-foot loft office in downtown Seattle uh, to uh, what I affectionately called Worldwide Headquarters, which was relocated into my home office in my daylight basement in West Seattle. And, you know, really, really was like, wow, that was a change. Um, but took the time to get clear on, you know, what I loved about what I was doing. Um, I loved working in the space of women and money. That was really the niche that I had started to focus in on as a financial advisor. Uh, and over the course of the next couple of years, noticed that many of the women who I was an advisor to were scheduling extra time because they wanted to talk to me about the businesses that they were starting or the business that they had inherited when their husband or partner had passed on. Uh, And I was asking them, why are you asking me questions about running your business? You know, you have your bookkeeper, you have your CPA. You know, I'm not quite sure why. I mean, I'm happy to talk to you about this, but why me? And the answer that kept coming back was the bookkeeper is doing my books, the CPA is doing my taxes, but I have no one to talk with about strategy in terms of growing, scaling, or potentially selling my business like you did. And that's when it sort of, you know, it's that that palm against the forehead moment where you go, it's right there. Mm -hmm. It's right there. Um, I love being a financial advisor, but, but what really lit me up, and I'd been doing a lot of personal work and a lot of work with my own coach around what was that next big vision for me. And so it turned out that doing strategic business coaching for women business owners was this perfect marriage of all my financial background, my left brain linear self was able to coach and counsel other women business owners, whether they were service-based, product-based, brick and mortar, you know, beekeepers to bookkeepers. The process that I had used to acquire, scale, sell my business was something that I could show and teach other women how to do. And that's what I've been able to do here for the last six years, uh, really humbly with some of the most amazing women business owners uh, around the world. Mm. And I know, uh, you know, I I know you personally because we go to the same uh, e-women functions and some other places. And I know that I hear wonderful things about you. So I know that you really are in your genius when you are doing the work that you do. So let me ask you, you you know, it's kind of an interesting switch from 
marketing NASCAR to financial <laughs> uh, advising. <laughs> What was that process like? Like, did you, have you always liked finance? Did you study finance in school yeah. or did you just kind of say, you know what, I'm really good with numbers and this yeah. looks like an interesting opportunity and, and it kind of led you in that direction? Yeah, I think it was more the second part, Kate. You know, I had, so when I was working with NASCAR, you know, I started, you know, 22, 23 years old and did that for a little over two years. And, you know, as um, the the millennial generation would say today at the age of 25, I basically had a quarter life crisis, right? I didn't know that's <laughs> what it was then. Uh, I just was like, yeah, okay. I, 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 what had happened for me personally was I had gotten to the place where I had came I conquered, and I wanted to know what was next. Mm -hmm. And because of the organization I was in, there really was no next place for me in that, in that company. So I evaluated, like, if I wanted to do next, that would have meant relocating to the East Coast into the heart of the NASCAR community and making a run at either working, you know, direct for NASCAR at a corporate level or, you know, for one of the other major motorsports companies on the East Coast. And I wasn't willing to move myself across the country. So mm -hmm. I began, you know, kind of evaluating at that point, like, what do, what do I want to do? You know, what is it, quote, unquote, all about? And the thing that kept coming up for me was I, I wanted to find a way that I could serve people and solve a problem that they had and be highly compensated for it. And it was a friend of mine who owned this brokerage company. They were a young couple, and they had just launched uh, their brokerage company. And as I was kind of exploring this quarter-life crisis, as I said, they were the ones who came to me and said, you should come to work for us. Like, you would love this industry. You get to help people. You get to help solve, you know, you get to solve their problems. And when you do good work, you're highly compensated. And, uh, you know, again, it checked all three of those boxes. Um, I have the ability to understand numbers, but I think the great skill that I brought to that was not only the understanding of a family's individual financial situation, but then it was being able to translate what that meant for them in a way that was relevant for their moment in time, their circumstance, their situation, and then be able to put a plan together, a roadmap that felt really comfortable and really good for them that they would adhere to so that they'd start to achieve, you know, their success. Uh, you know, you, I didn't start, um, I didn't start being a financial advisor with the thought that I would ultimately own my business. And when I started as an independent contractor to this brokerage firm, I didn't have a business owner mindset. I was still very much a, um, I had this, the mindset of, you know, coming from a company into, you know, somebody else's organization. I wanted them to tell me what to do, which doesn't happen. Uh, so, you know, it was definitely a learning process. Um, but I took a look at, you know, who were the successful people that they were surrounding themselves with. And I want, I just was able to, to watch what they did and say, you know, look, if they can do that, I can too. Uh, you know, so many people who end up as business owners, you know, I'm sure like yourself too, we didn't start our businesses because we knew how to run the business. We started our businesses because we were excited about an opportunity or we had a passion for something or we had a skill or, um, you know, we, we were able to solve a problem that was in the marketplace. It is the development of the, of the business owner muscle that comes second when you launch a business. And I have yet to be a, meet a business owner today who said, I started my company because I knew how to run the business. Uh, and it is learning the skills to be a successful business owner uh, that, you know, that really differentiates what we would determine as success in business versus struggle uh, in business. And so, you know, being able to walk that walk myself and I didn't realize it until I was probably three years into owning the brokerage, right? When I had acquired, I bought that business on a leveraged buyout, meaning that I took pieces of the revenue and used it to pay, quote unquote, the loan that the, that the founders of the other company had given me in order to acquire this business and re put that money back to them until ultimately it was paid off over a period of time. And that's, Probably three years into it was when I realized I was really a business owner. 
You know, there's this, it's an interesting moment because I, people would meet me at a networking event, you know, in, in 2000 and, you know, three, four, five, six, and people would ask me, what do I do? And I would say, you know, I'm a, you know, I'm a uh, financial advisor. I didn't, I still didn't have business owner mindset and it was in hiring my first coach that I got really clear on what business owner mindset was and that really shifted. You know, that was, that was what took my business from really healthy multiple six figures to well into seven figures. Uh, and the, in, the fascinating thing when I go back and, and reflect on that time was it was almost harder to get to the first half a million dollars in revenue than it was to get to the second half. You know what I mean? Like, it was such a Herculean effort to get up to $500,000, and I thought for a long time it was going to be even harder to get to a million, but the reality was it became easier and easier, and part of that was because the systems, the processes themselves were getting really refined, um, and I was able to step back and stop being the the financial advisor, the one who was making a lot of the revenue and step back into, you know, that CEO space and be able to look objectively at my business and put the right people in the right places at the right time using their talents and skills and strengths in order to get the company to grow. And that's what I want other business owners to do too. I mean, we all have an interesting story and that's one of the reasons I love your podcast is that the journey that we all take to get where we are is a very windy road. And it doesn't necessarily have, you know, a straight connect the dot. What I find is as I get to know people who are business owners, that it is, it is the, the feeling that they have been seeking or that experience that they want to be having that is a common thread uh, between all the work that they do. And mine has always been about education you know, educating people to understand something or look at something in a way that they, that they hadn't before. Uh, and that's, you know, a big obvious component of what I do now as a coach. Mm-hmm. Well, the employee to entrepreneur, that's something that I know very, very well. And I was an employee for a lot longer than you were. Um, and it's something that, uh, that, I, that I work with my clients on too, because that is critical, as you found out. Yeah. It takes a long time to make that mindset shift from I'm working for somebody else to I am a business owner. And and, yeah. and and you're right. Once you make that shift, everything becomes easier because you see it differently and you think about it differently and you feel differently about it. But but it is it is a big change, especially for people who have been employees for most of their lives, because it's a completely different way of thinking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's it is a you know for anyone listening who you know part of your new year plan is to you know jump both feet into business ownership and entrepreneurship, you know uh, listening and 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 plugging into people like Kate is invaluable. I mean, if I could if I could rewind and and go back to that day where I was starting my own business. I wish that I had had someone whispering in my ear, sitting on my shoulder saying, you need to get somebody in your corner who can help you make this change from employee mindset to business owner mindset and what skills that's going to take. I wish I had invested uh, at that level at that moment in time and I would have saved a whole lot of time and money because instead I ended up bumbling around a lot, which I think is what happens for many people until they now get to the place that they, as we would say, they don't know what they don't know, right? Mm-hmm. And so now that's where we start. And then it's like, oh, wait, now I know what I didn't know, so now I need to bring somebody in. Um, if, right. if you could, you know, jump in on that two steps sooner, that would make a huge impact on, you know, the emotional, the mental, you know, and the financial piece of business ownership. Mm-hmm. Absolutely true. We've got to take a short break. When we come back, setting yourself up for success in the new year. Do you feel like you're drowning in administrivia? Do you have a podcast you would like transcribed to repurpose as a blog or even a best-selling book? Rhonda's Virtual Office is the answer to the freedom you crave so you can get busy doing what you love. Let Rhonda's Virtual Office give you the relief you need. Visit rondasvirtualoffice.com and get some peace of mind today. Rhonda's Virtual Office is the go-to transcription service for EWN Podcast Network. 
for joining us. This is the EWN Podcast Network. Welcome back. You are listening to Change, Redefining Success. I'm Kate Fessler, and I'm here today with my guest, Debbie Page. Debbie, it's the last Friday of 2017, and people are setting goals, making plans for how next year is going to be their best year ever. After they recover from the celebration this weekend, of course. You... (laughs) You have some great tips for setting yourself up for success. Would you be so kind as to share a few of them? I would love to, Kate. You know, it's such a great time of year, you know, to be, get, you know, bringing closure, you know, to all the great things that were accomplished in, in 2017, to be evaluating, you know, what worked, what didn't work, what could we do better, and then really to take all those initiatives and launch into 2018. And, you know, I know that the people who listen, you know, to your show have had a taste of success. And part of the reason they love listening to you is because they want more success. And I also would think that for many people who are listening, uh, if I could look them in the eyeball and we were all three, you know, sitting around a, a table and we were having a conversation, and if I asked the question, do they think they get in their own way on the road to success, the answer would be absolutely. You know, it happens to all of us. Um, my childhood, you know, was filled with my dad using, you know, the the cassette tape player in the car for Automobile University. He was a guy who loved, you know, um, personal development, and we would listen to Zig Ziglar and, you know, some of the greats really, you know, he would, that's how we took family trips. We didn't listen to a lot of music. We listened to that. It was a lot of fun. But one of the things that I noticed as an adult was that there were themes that would always come through. And as I have grown into a businesswoman, I've been able to keep my eye on these recurring themes. And there are really seven areas that continue to come up uh, for anyone on their journey to success. And, you know, what I know is that these seven steps in particular are foolproof um, as long as we don't let ourselves down. You know, it's the humanity of, of us as individuals that cause kind of a breakdown uh, in, in our road to success. And so when I work through this with a client, I'll tell those of you who are listening right now, what I would ask you to do is write the word success um, vertically down the left-hand side of your piece of paper. Uh, and these are, the, these are the principles that we talk about. And so as you're coming into the new year, you know, we talk a lot about goal setting, right? And so what I know to be true about many entrepreneurs is that their, their goals are really broad, right? And, and they're not narrow enough, and, and they can't visually and tangibly touch them. So the first S on, you know, how to set yourself up for success uh, in the new year is to see your goal. And I really mean see it, visualize it, spend some time uh, you know, closing your eyes and imagining what it will be like, feel like, taste, sound, everything, the whole sensory experience about seeing what that goal is. You know, if we think about it from an analogy, if I handed a bow and arrow to you right now and said, shoot, most people listening would say, at what? And mm. so when there is no target, there's no purpose for shooting. And so as business owners, if we can identify our target, then it gives us a a point, a touchstone to be focused on, and we know where we're going. And it increases the likelihood of us getting there. You know, there was this study that was done back in Harvard, uh, back at Harvard in the 70s, and um, it's something that uh, I love to consider. They talked to uh, graduating MBA students at Harvard, and they asked them uh, a question uh, upon graduation, and they said, have you set a written goal and created a plan for attaining it? And of this graduating class, 84% of the entire class had set no goal at all. They were just probably glad to be getting their MBA from Harvard, and they were going to figure out what that next step would look like. Um, 13% of the class had set written goals but had no concrete plan. So they had picked either a career path or a financial number or something else, but they had picked it, they had written it down, but they didn't know exactly how they were going to get there. But then 3% of this graduating class had not only written down this goal, but they had systematically and sequentially written down the steps as they could see them then to get to this goal. And so the interesting part was 10 years later they revisited 
uh, this graduating class. And the 13% of the class that had set the written goal but had no plan to get there were making twice as much money as the 84% of the class that had set no goal at all. Uh, but the real kicker to this whole deal was that 3%, that tiny number of people who had written the goals and had a plan to get there were making 10 times as much as the rest of the class. So mm -hmm. it just is a good reminder that having the goal out there, so seeing it and then working sequentially to get there will ultimately get you the results that you want. Mm -hmm. I think the other point, Kate, too, is if we think down the the, you know, success going down the left-hand side and we think of the you, that's really about understanding the obstacles. You know, we're all super savvy business people and the, the road to success is filled with potholes or speed bumps. And as we pursue the success in our business, we have to take the time to evaluate the obstacles that we know and enlist a trusted troop of what I call traveling companions in business to help us identify these obstacles that could be in our blind spot or around a corner that we can't see. And it doesn't mean that because we understand the obstacle that we're going to avoid it. It just gives us a better chance to be better prepared. And sometimes I think too, and, and I'm sure you can speak to this as well, Kate, is that you know our obstacles are our, our, our greatest teachers, and mm -hmm. it is the adversity, right, that we need to face to be successful. Absolutely, another opportunity for growth, as they say. <laughs> I know exactly. I think uh, I, I have a good friend who will say when she's facing a challenge in business, you know, I appreciate. Uh, she's a she's a woman of great faith, and she would say, I appreciate God's faith in me, but sometimes I wish He had just a little less faith in my ability. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so fun though. But you know, the other thing, if we're thinking on this road to success, the first C would be to create the positive mental picture. And so we talked at the beginning about seeing the goal, right? Just having it out there. But now we're talking about a positive mental picture. And, you know, this comes from somebody who is 80% left brain linear. I love graphs and spreadsheets. They make me super, super happy. Mm -hmm. But what I do know, and this is one of these seven themes that come through, is that in, in, listening to people I perceive as successful and reading their materials and listening to their interviews on podcasts or watching them on television, one of the themes that continued to come up was having this vision, spending the time creating a positive mental picture of the outcome when you get to your goal. And whether it's you know, you're a real estate professional listening to, li listening to this program and you have a goal to set, you know, to sell a $5 million home this year. That's fantastic. Now spend some time, close your eyes every day and visualize what that moment looks like for you. Successful people will always talk about the time that they spent visualizing and creating that positive mental image. I mean, if you think about it, there's so many correlations, Kate, between uh, athletes and uh, business professionals. When we listen, you know, the Olympics are coming up here in February, and so you, you listen to these interviews with these professional athletes, and they talk about how they visualize the competition all the way through from beginning to end, all the way to them standing on that podium receiving that gold medal. It is the same thing in our business. If we take the time to create that really positive mental picture, um, it, it increases incrementally uh, our odds of achieving it. Um, and I think the other thing too, the other C that, that is probably one that resonates with most people is the idea of self-doubt. And so when I'm working with a client, we take the second C and we clear their mind of self-doubt. You know, there are three amigos that I think of in business who are not usually welcome traveling companions, you know, fear, doubt, and worry. And they're the ones who are just always chiming in about why this won't work. You know, this is the who am I complex, right? Have you ever asked yourself mm -hmm. that question? Like, who am I to do this? Well, because you 
are the one that is put on the planet to do the work that you do. You have to begin, you know, we spend so much time as, as humans focusing on what we don't want and the negative things that are around us. And it happens in business that we have to begin reprogramming to clear the self-doubt and we have to be hooking ourselves onto the positive pieces of, of what is going to make us successful. So that C is about clearing your mind of self-doubt. And then the other piece too is if we think about the E, it's about embracing the challenge. You know, there's a the quote, and I can't remember who said it, but it says that timing, perseverance, and 10 years of trying will make you an overnight success. Yeah. Um, and right. And, you know, I think, too, in the world that we live in, you know, in social media and whatnot, everyone was a charmed wife. Right. Um, mm. Everyone is perfect and everything is lovely. Uh, and the reality is 99 percent of the time we don't know the struggle that someone has been through uh, to get to the other side. And that's what I would say to you, to each of you listening, is that. You know, 2017, as you bring it to a close, going into 2018, there will be challenges. So embrace them. And when you, when you have these challenges that, are, that you're in, you know, look for the lesson. Look for the growth opportunity. And, you know, again, it goes back to one of those, you know, posters that you see, you know, inside of going back to our corporate conversation, inspirational quotes uh, inside corporate cultures that said it's your, it's your attitude that determines your altitude. Mm-hmm. And, you know, failure is a great teacher. And without our failures, we don't get our successes. And a failure in business or a failure in an initiative in your business does not mean that you are a failure. It just means that that initiative, right? And that's a between the ears thing. But we can really get ourselves wrapped up in that. And I'm sure you see that, you know, in the work that you do with your clients too. Yeah, well, we're not taught, you know, in school and everywhere else and in corporate, you are not, you're taught that failure is bad and that you shouldn't, you know, unless it's a sure thing, don't even try it because you'll get in trouble, whatever. And uh, <laughs> and that's exactly opposite of how you need to lead your yeah. life generally and in business because you're right, failure is a great teacher. And if you get if you get hung up because you failed, you'll never move mm-hmm. forward. And and it's uh, one of the pieces of advice that I've heard is fail forward fast. Yeah. And it's, you know, take a risk, see what happens, learn your lesson and move on. Right. And just keep mm-hmm. going. And the more you fail, the more you refine and the more you refine, the closer to the success you are. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and, you know, the other thing, too, I would say is, you know, talk about your failures. You know, I think that we don't need to have failure shame. I think talking about, you know, a launch that didn't work out is a great way to share with other people what didn't work for you. It doesn't mean it won't work for them, but they may have done something a little bit differently and be able to share with you. It is through those failures that all of us, you know, can support one another. And, you know, that also brings us to, you know, the last two S's on this whole road to success for 2018 is we have to stay on track. You know, it is noisy out there, and there is so much information that is coming at each of us. And, you know, we look out into the the landscape, and we see our competitor or someone we respect and admire, and they just seem to be killing it, and they're getting great traction, and it seems like they're going faster than we are. So maybe maybe we should give up what we're doing and go do what they're doing. And, And I'm here to tell you as a coach and as a friend, don't do that. Mm -hmm. One of the greatest contributors to this whole entrepreneurial angst is, you know, comparison and shiny object syndrome, right? And so if, if you can, you know, quote unquote, stay in your lane, and that doesn't mean you, you are rigid. It just means you have your goal. Like we talked about, you set your goal. You can see that and you know your destination. You don't have to jump over into what somebody else is doing. And ultimately, if you do, and I think it's happened to all of us, I know it ha- has happened to me, it ends up slowing me down and, you know, derailing me. And one of my great mentors, you know, on this idea of stay, you know, stay on track has always said to me, Debbie, you need to keep the main thing the main thing. Mm-hmm. And 
one of the great ways to do that, I think, too, is to have an accountability partner, somebody who you can check in with, who can check in on you, and who can say, you know, hold that mirror up in front of your face and say, hey, that wasn't what you were focused on. Why are you jumping all around here? Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes, you know, tough love is one of the greatest things, you know, that, that can happen. And then the last thing I would say on this road to success is share with the world what you're doing. You know, everyone is wired differently, but keeping your success to yourself doesn't serve you. And you can find a way to share success with a trusted circle of influencers, of, you know, colleagues who you care about, who care about you, people in a community like with eWomen Network, you know, at a local networking luncheon, being able to share your success there. When you get the big gig, land the big client, you don't need to share their name necessarily, but letting people know that your business is thriving and you're having success is a great way for people to be attracted to you because we all want to be around people who are making great things happen. Um, and I would guess that the people who listen to your program, Kate, are those kind of people. Don't don't keep your success to yourself. Share it with the world. You know, you owe it to your purpose for people to be able to find you. And if you keep your success to yourself, you're not going to be able to serve the number of people who you are meant to serve on this planet. Mm-hmm. Yes. And actually, even if you have not experienced success yet, like if you're just starting out, you need to share with people what you do and why you're good at it and and ask for people to refer you and ask for people to work with you because there's a reason you chose what you do. And, you know, don't don't be shy about it. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the being the shy, uh, you know, timid, timid person, and that is not the time. Loud and proud, baby. Like, that's, <laughs> we have to be in our own way. And loud and proud doesn't mean, you know, volume. It just right. means being able to share, right? You don't have to shout, but you do need to be able to share, to share what you do and why you're uniquely good at it, you know? And so if you think about this coming into the end of the year and into the into the new year and you're thinking about, you know, this idea on the road to success, you know, really stop and ask yourself, you know, just over the next 30 days, right? When you're doing your goal setting for the year, fantastic. Now break this down into manageable chunks of time. You know, one of the reasons that many people don't achieve their goals is because they set things too far out. There's a reason that so many sales records are broke at the end of the year because of the time that is left. And so if you're setting your goals and you focus on things over like 30-day increments and you break down your year into 30-day initiatives and you keep doing that, you increase exponentially the odds of achieving achieving what you've set out to do. Mm-hmm. Good advice. We are almost out of time. So I have to ask you, what is one book or resource that changed your life that you would recommend to people? Oh, my favorite book ever uh, is The Success Principles by Jack Canfield. Um, I got that book when it first came out about 13 years ago, and I read it cover to cover, and it completely changed my life and my business, and I read it every year in October as I get ready to do my goal-setting process. And the cool part about the success principles is that you can read it front to back or you can open it up to a principle a day and think about how that applies to your personal life or to your professional life. It is a game-changer. Awesome. You know, I like to do that. I like to take a book that I know has the answer that I'm looking for and just kind of let it fall open. But you can't do that when you have it on your Kindle. (laughs) (laughs) No, I have to tell you, Kate, so when it comes to um, when it comes to business books, uh, I, I want them in hard copy. Uh, I can read, you know, volumes and volumes of fiction 
on my Kindle, but there's something very tactile for me about the way that I learn that my business books and personal development books, I need to have the paper copy uh, so that I can highlight and write in the margins. And it's just very experiential for me. I know everyone's wired differently, but you're correct. It's, it's hard to just sort of let the Kindle fall open. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm the same way. And uh, I'll often, if I'm not quite sure, I'm, I might buy the book and read it on Kindle. But then if I feel like it's a resource that I want to have around for forever uh i do buy the physical book yeah for exactly that reason because I, I well i know they say you can highlight and write in the margins on the kindle but i haven't figured that out yet <laughs> i haven't either if you do would you let me know <laughs> so if people want to find out more about you and your work how can they do that uh, thank you for asking. So you can visit me at my virtual online home, debbiepage.com, D-E-B-B-I-E-P-A-G-E.com. And the other way is I facilitate a great conversation on Facebook in a private Facebook group for women entrepreneurs called the Women's Business Profit Lab. Uh, so you can search for Women's Business Profit Lab on Facebook and request to join and we'll welcome you in. And we have great conversations occurring in there about ways that as business women and business owners, we can keep more of the money that we make. Excellent. What's next for Debbie Page in 2018? Oh my gosh, what a great question. So 2018 is, uh, is a leverage year. Uh, for me, uh, I have arrived at a place where my intellectual property needs to be repurposed in a way that more people can have access to it. And so that's the exciting thing for me about 2018 is being able to put really valuable business development, systems process, cash flow, profitability work out into the world that people can you know, access wherever they are, uh, even if they're not quite ready uh, perhaps to work privately with me. So it's going to be a fun year. Excellent. Well, Debbie Page, thank you so much for your time today and for your tips that I am sure will help people set themselves up for success in the new year and beyond. All the best to you and to Mr. Harley Anderton for your best year <laughs> yet in 2018. Thanks so much, Kate. I will be right back. Have you ever asked yourself this question? Why is it so hard to make a buck? I know I have. Hi, I'm Sandra Yancey, founder and CEO of eWomen Network. What I have discovered after going from the brink of bankruptcy to running a multi-million dollar award-winning business is this. You can't build a million dollar dream hanging around minimum wage mindsets. My mission is one million women entrepreneurs generating one million dollars in annual revenue. So here's what I've done. I've created the mother of all entrepreneur success programs that you can access online on your time. It's called Monetize Me Now. It's a seven module online course that is 100% my success formula, covering mindset, mission, management, motivation, marketing, and measure. Come on, take my hand and I'll show you the way to learn to earn flowing revenue for your business. Visit monetizemenow.com for details. Thanks for joining us. Back now with your host, Kate Fessler. Welcome back. Are you ready for the best year of your life? Debbie's success tips can help. Starting with the first thing, see your goal clearly and really create a vision of what the achievement of that looks like and feels like. It may be scary to really commit to a goal, especially if you're not completely sure if it's the right thing for you. Sometimes feeling unsure is actually a sign that it's exactly the right thing. Our subconscious mind is scared. We've never done this before. Our comfort zone is being stretched. Remember, the feelings of fear and excitement are the same within the body. Don't let your misinterpretation keep you from the life you really want. And remember, there's always someone to help if you get stuck. When I started this podcast, it certainly was scary. And you know what? Every week, there's still a bit of anxiety. It's impossible to avoid stress altogether. Sometimes it's the motivator that gets us to the finish line. If you need a bit of inspiration, I encourage you to go back and listen to some of my previous podcasts. You'll find stories of all sorts of turning points and transformation. I know you'll see yourself or your circumstances in one of them. 
As a reward for listening this far, if you're considering making a big change in 2018, starting a business either to replace your current income or just a side hustle as it's called today, to supplement it or just to feed some part of your soul that's not getting nourishment from your current line of work, or if you have a business that just doesn't seem to be working for you, I'd like to offer you a big discount on Profiting From Your Passions consultation. You will receive an electronic copy of the book, Finding Your True Calling. You'll do specific exercises, send them to me, and then we'll talk and brainstorm for 90 minutes. At the end of our call, you'll have a clear idea and a next step to take. As a bonus, I'll include a 30-minute follow-up session 30 days later for any questions or concerns that come up. The regular price for this is $497, but if you send me an email to firstclasslifeatoutlook.com with the subject line podcast discount, you will pay only $197. This offer is good until March 31st, 2018, but don't wait. Your first class life is calling. I want to thank you very much for listening and for making this podcast a success. I hope you'll continue to listen in the new year. Next week, or should I say next year, I'll be talking about why you might want to start a business or side hustle and five things you can do to get clear on what your ideal business might be. I hope you'll join me. Until then, all the best to you and yours for a safe and happy New Year celebration and cheers to your authentic first class life. I'm Kate Fessler. Thanks for listening to Change, Redefining Success. is the EWN Podcast Network. I'm Sandra Yancey, CEO and founder of eWomen Network. We invite you to listen to all of our EWN Podcast hosts at ewnpodcastnetwork.com.